This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Huang. Today, I'm with Bob Van Loyt. Bob, do you want to give a quick background about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, I uh, so again, uh, so my name is Bob. I'm one of the co-founders of uh, Weaviate. That's an open source uh, vector database, and uh, the vector databases, um, you know, came into prominence because of the whole AI or machine learning boom, if you will. And we're probably going to talk a lot about that. But I'm now I'm at it for a couple of years already. I think this is the fourth year or something. Um, so it's a you know, fifth, even almost a fifth, because we started in. Uh, in August 2019, um, but it's all in the wake of machine learning, and nowadays have what we call what we call AI. Before that, I um, uh, I had my own uh, uh, software consulting company, so started as an engineer, turned into consulting, and um, that's kind of how I you know how I started my career. I never I was proud of myself to say that I never worked for a boss uh, before, so uh, that's but working in software for a very long time already. Oh, that you're so lucky. Like I, I've been in, in corporate for so long. Uh, that, <laughs> like, you know, like uh, you, you've been long enough where like there's a there's a concept known as like leadership worship in corporate, where like you're gonna have to follow whatever it is that your leader tells you. It's just it's so annoying. Um, so I really I'm very envious about that. Um, yeah. So like to to start off, like, could you give like a like a simple explanation of what generative AI is, I mean, that, that's like the hot new thing that's happening right now and like how it differs from other types of like data science frameworks. Yeah, sure. So I think, so the first thing is to, to unpack is that nowadays when we use the term AI um, and, and machine learning, we kind of use it interchangeably, but purely technically speaking from an academic perspective, AI is something different. But nowadays we just we use you know we use it interchangeably. So that's like when we say AI, we basically nowadays mean um, a machine learning. And um, to to answer your question, we kind of need to go back to 2015, 2016, when there was this new you know uh, especially in language, also also in images and in audio and those kind of things, but mostly in language, there was this revival of of um, uh, machine learning. And basically, the first thing that happened was that people um, uh, try to figure out, can we somehow get an understanding of language with, uh, uh, with machine learning? And the reason people did it with machine learning was because there's this concept where people believe that um, uh, um, when you look at language, that um, words that have a relation to each other, they're closely related in a sentence. So uh, a very pragmatic example of that is that um, if you have the two words, uh, the Eiffel Tower, right? The two words Eiffel and Tower. Chances that you find Paris more closely in a sentence to those uh, words is that's just more likely than finding, I don't know, Detroit nearby, right? So let's say there, there's a correlation between it. And so people started to create um, 
um, uh, ways of indexing pages. And the problem that people had back then uh, was that um, if you wanted to make a prediction of how words were related and you in a brute force kind of way needed to calculate that. So you had to go, for example, to the whole Wikipedia, let alone the whole web. We'll get to that later. But you had to go to the whole Wikipedia to figure out what the relation was between Paris and Eiffel Tower. That took days to calculate. So it was just very impractical. And that's where machine learning came, um, uh, you know, entered the stage. Because we said, well, we can actually train these models to make predictions based on these words. And the first output that these models had were vector embeddings. And for a layman's person, if you look at it, it looks very weird because you can take a, back then we were talk, still talking about single words. As I always like to say, like now we have the large language models that were kind of like tiny language models, if you will. And um, these words, they outputted a vector embedding. And if you look at a vector embedding, it, it looks a little bit like a like coordinates. It's not in three dimensions or in two, but like many more. But what these models did was that they tried in space to relate these words to each other. So for example, if you would have the word Eiffel and the word Paris, that would be more closely related than uh, Eiffel and uh, Detroit. But the beautiful thing that people started to see, and it was, um, we are kind of part of that wave, was, hey, wait a second. If we can make relations in these words and in sentences and in paragraphs, and these embeddings come out, we can, if we do that in a reverse order, we can do search. We can create better search and better recommendation systems because it's important to bear in mind that if you store data, regardless what your use case is, if you want to retrieve that data from your database, back in the days, the only way to do that was searching for keyword matches. So if I had a sentence that said, the Eiffel Tower is in Paris, then the only way to retrieve that sentence from my database was searching for Eiffel Tower, Paris, or a combination of those three words. But if I would search for something like landmarks in France, we had a problem because that was not in the data set. But now the model, because of these vector embeddings, these coordinates, if you, if you will, they were able to match. We don't have an exact match, but we have a very similar match. Now, out of that, a new innovation came as well. And uh, that people started to say, well, uh, so new architectures, you know, entered the scene, like people might have heard about like transformers and those kind of things. But what started to happen as well, that people said, well, if we can make in language these relations, maybe we can also do some prediction in sentences. So we can say, for example, uh, the Eiffel Tower is in dot, dot, dot. And then ask the model what's on dot, dot, dot. And then the model might say Paris. And that is generative AI. So we started to generate um, uh, content. And now where we are today is that we can nicely bring these two things together. So we have these models that take care of that vectorization. We have machine learning models that take care of generating. And then in the middle of that, to glue it together, we have a vector database like Weaviet. So what can you do with that? So you can say, for example, um, uh, um, let's say that you have a, a list in your database of reviews of landmarks in, in the world that you can visit. Then you can ask the question, make me a comprehensive list or a tour guide for great landmarks when I'm in France. And it vectorizes that, gets the right entities from the database, sends like, hey, generate something for me based on this information. 
the, the thing that we that we call it today that's called the technical term is retrieval augmented generation so we augment what we retrieve from the database by generating something and that's kind of where we are right now and that's what find people so exciting because when ChatGPT entered the scene ChatGPT plays a role here people are like oh boy that's awesome but the problem was like i have a lot of data people you know come like like more than, I believe it's like 90% of data is behind closed doors. So people said like, how are we going to get all that goodness of generative AI that we've seen with ChatGPT, but with our own data? And that's where these vector databases play a role in combination with these vectorization models and these generative models. So that's like the the, the history in a, in a nutshell. I, I remember when uh, LMs became very popular that vector databases started popping up because like you needed a way to query like information that that wasn't like trained on uh, from like that the model wasn't trained on. And so like these vector databases became like came into fruition. Um, now there's like uh, LLMs that are very, very capable, like frontier models that are very large, that have very large context windows. Like what's your opinion on um, where vector databases sit in a uh, in the world where um, LLMs have such a large context window, like for instance, Anthropic, they have a hundred K context window, um, open AI's, uh, uh, GPT four turbo has a 128 K context window. Like, where do you think, uh, like where does the, um, vector databases live in, in that regard? Yeah. So to answer that question, we need to zoom out a little bit, right? So we need to first say, so what, 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 what? Why, why is this a thing, right? So why, why do we look at that? And that is because people try to answer the question, like, what's the most efficient way to store unique information, right? So, um, um, so a very simple example might be, let's say that you are a bank and you have bank statements and you want to do whatever you want to do with Gen AI with these bank statements. Of course, if you ask the, the model, what did Bob buy? uh in in december 2024 the model is gonna say i don't know because you know it's like it, it's not in the weights right it's it was not trained on that information so now the question is how do we how do we bring that information to the to the model so one way of doing that is putting it in the context window right that's eight that's that's option number one the challenge with doing it in the context window is that and there's some nice research on it is that the longer your context window becomes the less accurate the end results become. You're talking so, about the, the fuzziness in the center, right? Like um, where the, the, yes. front, the front and the rear are very crystal clear, but then the, the center becomes fuzzy because of the 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 the, the way that the um, the neural networks are built. Yes, exactly. And 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 to understand that, we need to go back to the to have what people refer to as hallucination, that it makes a prediction on. Um, word after word after word after word. And what's important to know is that the longer we make the context window, the, you know, the bigger the chances that it, that it makes a mistake in these predictions. And as we have all seen with uh, hallucination, if the thing goes off the rails, it goes off the rails bad, right? And um, so that's, that's a problem in the context. So maybe storing it in the context window is a suboptimal solution. And I'll place a little less tricks there because I'll get back to it. Another way of doing it, and that's like a very novel way that people are now researching, is like, 
can we can we adjust the weights themselves? So if you Google around, you'll find some research where people are saying like, um, uh, I believe that the example that they have, um, uh, LeBron James um, uh, uh, is a basketball player, and then they change it. LeBron James is a, um, a a baseball player. I believe that's the that's the change they make in the weights, right? So that you basically update the weights to somehow um, uh, uh, capture that new information. Um, now, when we go back to this rack thing, this retrieve augmented generation thing, there's kind of two ways how you can do that. Um, one is um, what I like to call the primitive way. And another way is the, is the, um, the novel, the novel way of doing it. And the, uh, the primitive way is shooting that information in the, in the context window. So rather than saying like, okay, we're going to have all that information in a huge context window for it to figure out. No, 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 no. We make a pre-selection, especially if a huge data set, and we inject that in the context window. That's where the vector database plays a role. Uh, but, you know, now devil's advocate about that argument. So you can say, well, but didn't I just say that we want to avoid the context window? Well, another way of doing it, and this is actually the original way how people wanted to do REG, is um, uh, that the model knows that based on vector embeddings, it needs to retrieve something from the vector database. That's actually, if you go back in time, and you see the original idea about RAC was actually that. So if I had to make a prediction, and um, uh, we recently, if you're interested in that, we recently also on the Weaviet podcast, we discussed this with some people where we said like, um, could these things come together? So is there a future where we kind of save these weights, maybe in vector representations in the vector database? Might the, the future of the vector database be not, I'm not talking next week or next month, but year, two years from now, might the, might the future of the vector database actually be that it becomes a storage mechanism of these weights? Because the way, I mean, depends who you ask, but the way that we store these weights right now, is kind of ugly. We, can't, we just store them just in, in, in binary blobs, right? What if we could make that dynamic? What if we could add what we, what we in the database world call CRUD support, which stands for create, read, update, delete? What if we could give those kind of functionality directly to the model? And now we kind of go full circle. So maybe the next generation vector database uh, uh, actually does, does that, right? So it's, it, it becomes the, the, the storage mechanism to store the weights from the models that you can real-time create new information, read the information, update the information, or delete it. Oh, one of my, uh, the, one of the big reasons why I like Weaviate, um, this is why you're on the show, is that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that like, I, I use Weaviate and um, a lot of my friends use something similar. And, um, you know, when we first started off with uh, in the, in the LM world, we started off with like Pinecone and OpenAI, which is like the two uh, favorites whenever you start off with. Um, but then once once you start um, experimenting around and once you start doing things that are more, are more advanced, you typically move away from those two and you go to something more specific, uh, specific like you know like Mistro or like Llama two for for uh, for LLMs in the uh, in the vectors uh, database situation, you know, I, I switch over to from like Pinecone over to you guys uh, for a couple of reasons. Like, first off, there's um, one of the big reasons why I switched was that 
there wasn't a lot of like first party support for like very basic things that are more advanced that I needed. Like for instance, if I needed like query, like the information from embeddings, I can't do that on Pinecone live. Um, I have to do some like janky, like uh, way to like some type of like third party way to, uh, to, to grab that information. But you guys have it like, um, you know, as a first party. So like what, what made you guys want to build something where you gave the users a lot of a lot more control uh, as opposed to like going like full managed like uh, like Pinecone where like everything's taken care of, but you don't have that control where you can't do something more advanced like, um, you know, as you progress along the your like LLM journey, you want to do more and more and more complex things. And then so like you you basically switch your stack from like Pinecone to Weeby or like OpenAI to like Llama 2, like what made what made you guys want to build that, uh, this type of framework? So three words, open source community. So the majority of features we have come from the R, um, uh, they basically come from the open source community. And let me give you two, uh, or no, let me give you one super pragmatic example. So uh, one of the features we have in Weaviate is uh, is hybrid search, and the 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 thing is like a, it's like a um, a public secret, if you will, in the in the vector database space, and that's this: pure vector search often is not enough for the majority of use cases. Let me give you a very pragmatic example. So if you say, um, let's say that you have invoices. Right? You have invoices in your vector database and your queries. Um, um, what was the most expensive product on invoice number ABC123? Finding that information based on that query in vector space will work very well. But not ABC123 because the model was never changed on your invoices. Right? So you need a concept that as hybrid search, what hybrid search does, it does vector search to retrieve to get the information or retrieve the line items, the right line items. But the ABC123 is captured by, in our case, a BM25 index, where it says like, hey, wait a second, that's such a unique thing. We're gonna rank that very high. You fuse them together, you mix them together. And now you have a form of hybrid search. That came from our community. It was our community was saying, hey, wait a second. Um, uh, um, uh, uh, we're trying to do this. We had this use case with vector search. But it doesn't work very well because, yes, it gets the most expensive line items, but not from the invoices that we wanted it to find us from. So um, when we started to work on Weaviate, we, we, we knew like we have an open source community that will tell us what they want. We have many more things and features in the database that purely come from, from community. Let me give you another example. So one thing that we have is um, um, multi-tenancy support. And in these multi-tenants, um, you can decide per tenant if you want to store information in memory or on disk. And now you might go like, okay, so why would I care? Well, you might care because memory is expensive. And uh, so what happens here is that if you have, let's say that you have a use case uh, with, um, 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 let me think of a, of, a re of a use case I've recently seen. Well, a um, uh, um, how do you call it? A CMS systems, right? So... Uh, uh, customer management systems, right? So you might have interactions with thousands of customers. And then inside that, you might again have like hundreds of thousands of interactions with these customers. If you do a vector search, you don't have to search the whole thing. You want to do that per 
customer. So you have your multi-tenancy set up. But the problem is if you add all these data objects and all these vector embeddings together, you might end up into the billions and storing all that information in memory is very expensive. So what we see our customers do is that say, well, actually it's perfectly fine if we store this on disk, use disk-based uh, vector search capabilities. And now it becomes significantly cheaper to store that information. How do we know that? Because our um, uh, 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 our customers, uh, sorry, our users, our community, and also customers, to be honest, they, they told us. Uh, but it's always the community first, because it's like they're very smart people in the in the open source community. They tell you, you can to go to our GitHub and our roadmap now, and you'll see that all the things that are happening there, that comes from uh, community members. Yeah, I, I agree. The the, the um, I think the open source is the way to go. Uh, moving forward in in the Gen AI space, I mean, it, like there's so much movement happening right now in the uh, in the open source world. I mean, they're they're catching up with a lot of the frontier models in terms of performance. Um, there's a lot of features being added um, that are very um, like uh, specific to like use cases where like there's a big pain point that's that's being addressed um, and it's being addressed a lot faster than like what like a managed service would ever provide. Um, so I, I definitely think going the open source route is like the best, absolutely the best route. Um, like take for instance, like Llama 2, man, that that uh, that LLM is just kicking ass right now. It's taken over. Um, everyone's using Llama 2. I mean, like it, OpenAI used to be like uh, like the number one ranked um, LLM. And, and when Llama 2 got released this summer, like everyone switched their code base over to that syntax and and um you know everyone that I talk to for instance have is just going all open source. So I, I think the future of of Gen AI is is hundred percent open source. Um we're we're just a you know a short amount of time uh before uh, open source catches up with all of the managed service offerings. Um so I'm 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 curious on your take on like uh like where this market is going. And so like you know do you think that um, there's going to be a, a new type of like vector database um, like framework that's going to be built in the future. Do you think that there's going to be some new cutting edge like LLM that's going to be developed in the future that's not just like a larger context window or just more parameters? I mean, th those are like two things that I would think of in terms of like LLMs, for instance, um, where like it would become, quote, more uh, advanced, like just like, you know, something larger in primer size, something larger in, in context window size. Do you think like there's something big and different that's going to happen soon? Or do you think like that's just going to like scale linearly until like perhaps like quantum computing hits? And then there's a different, uh, and then there's like a different framework that's going to be developed. Like what's your take on like the, like the next big hot thing that's going to happen in the Gen AI space? So if I, so um, that's an excellent question. So my, 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 my hot take, if you will, would be, um, uh, what I said earlier that these, that these databases will evolve, um, um, to folk, to go one step deeper to focus on managing weights in one base shape or form. I don't know what that is yet. And let me tell you where, where, what I base it on. So the, um, um, if you let's take the uh, you just gave llama two as an example right? so llama two but also mistral and those kind of things so one of the things that we that we're seeing is that that uh, it's expensive right to run these things i mean um um i was just you know i had a hard time running the 70 
uh, a billion parameter models because I have access to one one a a, a, a hundred uh, GPU myself. So I just try to uh, just on my personal account I tried to stuff this thing in there, but it just didn't work and that kind of stuff. So then people um, and then if I even had like a smaller GPU, but I something like seven billion parameter, it's just very expensive to keep the thing running, right? So obviously what's that. But what is the beautiful thing about open source? People start to experiment. So now we saw all these C++ ports, right? So people take the weights, they port them to C++, run it on CPU and come up with all these boosting algorithms and, and God knows what, right? And, but the thing here is that that is playing with the weights. That is, how can we optimally store and search through the weights? And um, what is the thing? How do we call a tool where we store information and adjust information? We call that a database. Right, so uh, now we're 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 like one step closer to what these vector databases are doing. So my hot take would be that that's where things will evolve, uh, not in the near future because there's still a lot of research needs to be done, but in the not too distant future. And um, I also loved your remark about um, these open source models because the thing is the um, um, if something is released in the open especially machine learning models, and it might be interesting to double click on why machine learning models, but um, especially with machine learning models, is that when it's in the open, people will start to tinker, experiment, and come up with other stuff that's very hard to do in the walled garden because if the community grows big enough, you just need to have one person with a unique genius idea that throws it out in the world, and then everybody can adopt it, right? So the the the... Uh, 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 the way for these ideas to spread is just enormous in these uh, in these models, and there will be a tipping point. I mean, that's what I loved about the. Um, um, I'm blanking on the name. It's uh, Olama, I believe. That they that is like the goal is to have the models run on your on your MacBook. Yeah, I love that, right? And that's this is just a matter of time. That's gonna go very fast. So. Um, and then to if, to, if I may quickly double click on my point about these, why that's so interesting for models. That is because um, I have this, this, this thing that I like to talk about that I talk about like software technology can be stateful or stateless. That's a way to segment uh, infrastructure. And a database is stateful. So what people pay us for, so we have, in our case, we have VV8 serverless, we have enterprise dedicated, BYOC, that kind of stuff. What people pay us for is to make sure that the database keeps your data stateful. That if you add something and you come back tomorrow, that it is not gone or corrupted or what have you, right? The thing with a machine learning model is that a machine learning model is more like an MP3 file. So um, uh, uh, the, uh, an MP3 file has, the problem that an MP3 file has is that if you share it with somebody else, you have twice the value but it does not mean that in this case, the artist can capture the value twice because I can pay for an MP3 file, enjoy it, send it to you. You listen to it, you enjoy it too, but you're not paying for it, right? And that's because an MP3 file is stateless, right? You just, it, it's just a couple of, of bytes organized in a certain order. And if we copy paste it, we have the exact same valuable thing that we can share. Machine learning models are stateless, right? So, and then yes, you could fine tune them. But the thing is that we can download Llama 2 uh, 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 at the same time, have both get a lot of value from it. So the only way to, this, the, 
quote unquote simple way or the the uh, the primitive way of capturing that value is putting it behind the paywall but now you have the problem that if you put it behind the paywall and you don't want to give it away then you don't have the greatness of the open source community so that's the catch 22 that the model providers especially the open source model providers they need to figure out what their business is going to be uh, if they're saying we want to have that open source greatness but we also of course are our business so we also want to um, generate some 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 money. So it's like a that's the big catch twenty two of these models. And who knows? Maybe merging the models and the, and the and so the moment that the model becomes stateful, regardless if that's with a vector database or in the vector database or the, the or whatever, but if it's really intertwined, the moment that that happens, um, then the model becomes stateful, and then uh, it, it becomes easier to to. You know, to create a business or a product out of the uh, 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 of the models, but it's going to be very hard for proprietary model providers. And don't get me wrong, I I know a lot of these people at these companies, and the years are very, very capable, smart people. But you're taking it off against the open source community, and that's and the the open source community is vast. So we'll see what the future holds. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The um, like I, you know, I in my opinion, I think like the two hot things that are happen happening right now is they're taking like um like LLMs and they're like quantizing it, right? So rather than running it on a GPU where like you have to have these like very large large GPUs, like you know the the A one hundreds, um, the you know the the H one hundreds, the H two hundreds, like you can now run it on a CPU, uh, like locally. So like you know, if, I don't know if you ever follow like uh, the stuff that's happening on like Hugging Face, but there's a there's a guy named called uh, his, his like username is like the bloke or something like that, and he yeah. and he just takes these models and he quantizes it so and he shares it with everybody. So like you could just take it, download it, and run it on a CPU, which I think is like it, it is is great in terms of like the open source community, so that you can like make LMs a lot more accessible, so more people can use it. Um, and then additionally, like um, I think the, the the other thing that's going to happen that's very big is we're going to be moving away from these like large monolithic LMs like your chat GPTs or not sorry your open AI um, GPT engines your uh, anthropics and you're going into like smaller uh, SLMs um, where like you can run it on like something that's like a 7 billion parameter or like 300 million parameter or something smaller so I think in my opinion I think that's where uh, like the, the industry is headed towards um like what's your what's your take on it like I, I was at like databricks um the last year and like the big hot thing that everybody was talking about was like small language models uh quantization of like the large language models um like what's your what's your hot take on like the you know what what's what's next what's the big hot next thing so 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 first of all, so yes to all the above, right? So um, uh, the, I'm a big believer in um, that people keep innovating on these types of technologies until um, the tipping point of good enough is reached. And what do I mean with good enough? Um, uh, good enough is um, that you just, you know, run a high quality model. Um, uh, you just, you know, it, it, it's... It might be packaged in a Docker container. It might be packaged in any other way. And like you do like your know, Docker Compose up to run with it, it just has the model um, uh, next to it. So that is like what I mean with good enough. And it just runs 
for example, on your laptop if you're developing. And uh, people will just keep pushing, 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 pushing the boundaries until they get there. So quantization is a, a way of doing it, right? Um, uh, trying to um, uh, boost the um, uh, uh, token generation. Right? So what we see now with the C++ libraries, they have like a handful, I don't know all of them, but a handful of these uh, boosting um, uh, uh, methods and algorithms. People will just keep going until they, they, they get somewhere. Or people might find another architecture where they can do it faster. Or, and this is, goes back to what I previously said, and this is where my, my bet is, right? Is that people, because, you know, if you take a model, if you port it to C++ or you quantize it, you're already tinkering around with these weights. And um, I think we're going to see very soon that people are just going to unpack the weights somehow. Right and 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 make relations in um uh, those relations they they store these different they, they they store these different weights and then they start to manipulate them right you can say well this combination of weights leads to x y z so let's see if we can change it to a b c and that's a little bit farther out but we can already see uh, um, uh, the first research that's happening in that space and again that's I think that's that's the steps that are going to be taken the open source models. A lot of people are tinkering with it. They're quantizing. They are porting. It's that's not a lot of steps removed from tinkering with the weights themselves real time. And this also goes back to if you talk about real time. So, in there's no system. I mean, in reality, where where real time means zero milliseconds or nanoseconds, right? So, um, uh, real time means. I don't know, 20, 20 milliseconds or something, right? So if we can do all these things, all these back to these crowd operations on the models, so create information in the model, read information from the model, update, delete it in a handful of milliseconds, we've reached that tipping point of, um, uh, um, uh, of good enough. And I can't, I, I mean, we're, we're contributing in, in our way, but I, I can't wait and see what... Uh, uh, what the community will do. Um, so I'm, I'm curious on your take on like uh, tips and tricks on on how to use Gen AI with like vector databases. Like, have you seen any um, like projects where uh, or, or like you've you've been helping a client and like it just fails completely because they have a like the wrong knowledge of coming into that project. Like for instance, I'll I'll start like uh, I was helping somebody. Um, build out like an LM vector database, uh, arch you know, L this, this general LM architect. And they wanted to take a, uh, like a document and shove that document into one embedding. And I'm, I was like, that's not how it works, but they still wanted to do it. And I didn't know how to explain it to them. Like I kept, I, I, I explained it to them, but they wouldn't understand. I didn't know how to explain it further to, like, cause it, was, it didn't make any sense to me, but, um, why they want to do it but like i was helping them do that and obviously you're shaking your head you're saying that's ridiculous like that's not how, that's not how a vector database is supposed to be but it's not how you're supposed to use a document with a vector database but like um you know have you ever come across like something where the uh like uh, the client asks you to to do something but it was just like like buddy you, you shouldn't do that like give me like life lessons that you can like teach us where like 
uh, you've come across like a, like a project where you're asked to do it and you're like, man, this thing sucks. That's not the most optimal way, something better, uh, something faster, more efficient. Like, uh, you have any, one of those stories? Yes. So I have, I have two types of those kind of stories and, and, and I, the reason why I was, I was shaking my head was actually for some, something else, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you after why I was in So, so the first uh, group is operationally. So uh, the example you just gave, I would fit in that group, right? So uh, that is people who see, um, uh, you know, these embeddings as like a silver bullet. They just throw complete documents at it and what have you, and they and they, um, uh, uh, yeah, they, they and then it, whatever they try to achieve that doesn't work. A nice example is that if you, for example, only use LLMs and you have, for example, a, um, I don't know, a financial document from Apple, and then on page 192, there's some information you actually want to retrieve. But the only way to know that that page is related to Apple, the company Apple, is because it has the little Apple logo on top of it. But you didn't factorize that because you were using a language model and not a multimodal model, right? So those kind of problems I see a lot, right? So that is the operation. That's also for the for the database that people set up the database in a way that's kind of suboptimal, or that people stuff everything in memory because that's easy and it's fast. But then when they grow, they you know they need to be more sophisticated in how they operationalize the database. That's one. The other group is more. And I don't even know how to call this, but if I give an example, you probably know what I mean. So if, you know, if you, if you solve problems in, in uh, uh, e-commerce, um, uh, uh, CRM systems, banking statements, fraud detection, great. But if you want to say something about like medical records or generate something about like, you know, that has direct impact on people's lives, I'm always a little bit hesitant with these kind of things. And I hope that people keep like humans in the loop before they start to build and sell products that aim to automate that kind of stuff. I, I think people should be careful with that. And uh, so that's a, I don't even know how to call it, but it's more like a, um, yeah, related to how much impact that the products have that people build with these models and vector databases on, on society. And the reason I was <laughs> I was shaking my head is because I think that's our fault slash problem. Our being the community of builders of products and services. We all got very eager, right? So I uh, um, uh, I remember when the the first time um, um, uh, OpenAI had on their website, hey, you can use these embeddings with vector databases. Um, uh, they had a very short list. It's now a, a long list, but on that on that list, uh, uh, we were on that list too, and I was very proud of that. And all statistics went up after that list was published, and there were like only three on them, and um, and we all got very eager, right? And 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 we, you know, and 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 we wanted to, you know, grow our communities and and our customer bases and that kind of stuff. But what we sometimes forgot was to help people be actually successful, right? So that we said, like, hey, let us help you do these architectures well. Let us help you uh, um, to understand that if you, if you take this extra step, for example, to implement the hybrid search functionality, 
you're going to be more happy down the line. If you take this uh, this extra step in from an architectural perspective, you're ready for the future when your company grows. And I think we need to make sure that we that we keep doing that, that we help people be successful because, you know, we're helping nobody in our category if we if we don't do that. Because what will happen is that there's this that the famous hype cycle from uh, from um, uh, Gardner. There's the uh, how they call it the uh, the 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 slope of illusionment or whatever disillusionment or however they call it. We wanna we wanna flatten that as much as we can, and we do that by helping people become successful. And that means we need to educate them, we need to help them, we need to talk to them. We need to make them successful. And um, uh, and that was kind of why I was shaking my head because I was like, we need to do as much as we can, not only as we've yet, but everybody who's knowledgeable in this space and building business in this space, regardless if you're a consultant, product builder, um, there's still a lot of work ahead of us to make everybody successful with these tools. Yeah, I agree. Like I'd say knowledge, uh, general knowledge on like capabilities, what you can do, um, being realistic about, uh, like expectations on what like Gen AI can do is so important right now because there's a lot of like disillusion. There's a lot of like fantasy around like and hype around Gen AI. So like people think like it's like a, you know, one-stop shop for everything. It's still, it, it it's a growing field. It's very popular, but there's, there's so much work that's still being done. And like, you know, there's companies like Accenture where, where like Accenture created like a thing called Accenture Academy. There's also different academies created, everywhere where like they're trying to upskill everybody with like the general knowledge of what Gen AI can do. And I think that like, you know, that's going to be key right now in, in the future is like upskilling everybody to know like just the basic stuff about Gen AI. Um, and uh, additionally, I, I think what you're, you were trying to allude at was like um, previously about uh, uh, taking, taking like a prediction and, and having it, um, output something that could affect your life like like the, uh what what i think what, what another anal analogy or another example i was thinking in my head was that like you know for like weather prediction versus like credit score prediction those two are drastically different you know like if if it's uh sunny outside and like the the person says it's gonna rain i walk outside and it doesn't rain I, i'm not gonna care but you know if they if they uh if if a credit score prediction says that i can't afford a house that's gonna directly impact my future forever, right? So, like, exactly, yeah. That that was that was something immediately I was thinking about because that's like, um, it's it's based on the use case and the sensitivity of the data. So, like, I I think what you're trying to what you were trying to allude at was that like, uh, is the data like PII related? And typically, if it's PII related or personal personally identifiable information, like that can impact your life. But everything else, you know, like weather, traffic, that doesn't really impact me that much. Like it. In, yeah, and I'm not even sure if it's like PI related. It's more it's 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 even more generic, as in like, how much do I care if the thing is wrong, <laughs> right? So so if if a system gives me nine out of like an e-commerce recommend recommender gives us nine out of ten times an amazing recommendation, me for example or you, then we go like this amazing. Oh, and this one time it showed me this really weird product. No idea why I did that, right? Who cares? But if um, uh, with credit scores, for example, if if it says, "Hey, we just want somebody to double check," you know, your your request for a um, uh, uh, for a mortgage or whatever. Okay, that's fine. 
But if it says like, no, a computer says no, because of one of these models, I don't think that's a good idea. Or as I, as I like to say with the, in the medical domain or something, right? So it's a, and, um, um, and what disruption in, in technology, of course, does if we follow the disruption theory, uh, um, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the Clayton's uh, disruption theory, that it kind of attacks the, the, the market bottom up. That is again. That's great from 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 e-commerce to to data warehousing to to fraud. All these things, right? That's great for that AI. But let's let's think twice if we do that for things that it has a direct impact on our on our lives. And that goes back to that educational part that we need to help people. Like, this is how these models work. I think I'm I'm also I always tell the people at at Reviate that I say like well. I said, one of the, the knee-jerk reactions that we tend to have, and we being, not we, but uh, um, uh, people working at these startups, is that we want to show off how smart we are. And the way we do that, that's a knee-jerk reaction. We do that by using complex language, complex nomenclature, complex syntax, like, oh, let's build these advanced rack systems. Let me show you like um, the math that's behind it. But that means that the majority of people can read it. And can understand it, and I think the power sits in the fact that we help people to understand how the systems work, how you can make them successful, and um, uh, uh, and and what potential limitations are today. So uh, that's kind of why I, you know, why I brought it up. Be um, um, uh, because it's like I, you know, um, uh, with whole the the door that AI opened. I mean, we're in the picks and shovels business, right? So we sell picks and shovels to work with AI. But I see like a lot of dollar signs in people's eyes around me. And I mean, again, 99 out of 100 people build amazing stuff, right? Uh, but we need to also help this one person to say like, yeah, are you sure you want to do it like this or like that, right? So we need to think about that too. Yeah. So so what I'm hearing is that you're saying knowledge is very important right now, uh, like upskilling. Um, I 100% agree with that. Um, I also think, so I think knowledge is important. I also think that accessibility is equally important um you know getting things more accessible uh so that people can use it and build it that's um that's how that's how this industry is being driven right now is that the it's they're, they're taking very complex frameworks and they're distilling it and making it more digestible and accessible to everybody um you know that's uh that that's why um that in my opinion that's why i think the the gen ai feel is blowing up is that it, it, just the increased accessibility, but um, with it comes like you have to have the knowledge on, on like what you can do with all this tech, uh, the limitations and, and whatnot. Um, so I, I think those those two kind of go hand in hand. Um, oh, uh, by the way, I, I forgot uh, if I ever needed to get in touch with you, like how do I how would I do that? Um, it's um, I'm on all uh, I'm on like uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and email. So just good old fashioned Bob at wefi.io. Uh, you know, uh, allows you to find me. <laughs> oh, great. Um, and then uh, I would I'd say like I have I have a final question, which is like you know for somebody who is like an aspiring AI professional, like what advice would you give to them if they're interested in like pursuing a career in AI? especially in the, in the gender of AI space, because it's so hot right now. Like what, what would you recommend like them getting started with? Do you think like a Udemy like course would do it? Do you think like, 
just reading documentation on like uh, you know like a lm uh like document uh website would work or do you think like watching youtube videos would work like what what do you think is like the best first step yeah so first of all as a quick preamble it's important for people to know that working with in ai um uh, is like with work with software it's like i always give the analogy it's like learning to play the guitar so it takes some time to learn you know how to do the fingering how the chord works and it takes some time before you can just actually sit down with friends play and play a song right so the that's a steep learning curve that's the same here too that's fine so if you're confused about stuff if you don't understand stuff that's fine uh, um, uh, that's that's for so keep going that's my my first advice for people who are really new to this um secondly is and that's kind of based how how i learned software in general like that's a long time ago already but um find yourself a use case it that can be can be anything that can be um if you're still a student build a chatbot to work to solve your homework stuff whatever right or um, uh, uh, try to make some money out of it, right? So if you uh, if you build something and if you're like, if you're listening to this and you're like 16 years old, find somebody who's willing to pay 500 bucks if you do something with a model from Hugging Face, right? Just that can something be fun because what happens then is that you have a very concrete use case and that makes it a little bit easier to find your way, you know, to the, to the, to the weeds of information that, that is online. So, so I think so, um, and then when it comes to places, I mean, I, I learned the most, how do I learn? Uh, um, I really like, um, I'm, I'm more somebody who likes written. There's a lot of good blog content on, uh, towards data science. So sometimes it, it pops up through, through, through stuff pops up through hacker news and those kind of things. Sometimes on, we, we try to do it on the WeFiat blog, um, uh, code examples, the cookbooks work very well that you can find. So um, just start playing around with it, but ideally with a, with a use case in mind, because it makes it, that makes it a little bit easier. So um, like, do you guys have any hot new stuff that's, uh, that's coming on your horizon for WeFiat? Like, uh, give me some fill of beans. Give me, give me some, uh, give me some cool stuff that's, uh, that you guys are doing. It's coming up. Yeah. So I am. So, so the um, actually the thing that we that we just released. So that's not spilling the beans, but it's like a kind of thing that we're we're still doing a lot of work on on showing people that, that we have is that what I mean in that flat index. So because the big thing is the if your use case grows, stuff is in uh, is in memory gets expensive quickly, and we're gonna do some great and smart stuff and automatically getting it in and out of memory. Uh, doing that over multi-tenant. So especially if you have bigger use cases, a lot of excitement, uh, exciting things are coming there as well. Uh, we have the new Python client that's going to be, that's that's almost ready to go uh, to, to be um, released publicly. The V4 client, same is going to happen for the TypeScript uh, clients. So that kind of stuff. And we now have a lot, a big um, uh, sprint coming up with a lot of stuff around um, just uh, reliability, scalability, and those kind of things. Because, a lot of people are now scaling up fast. So those kind of things are uh, um, uh, uh, super exciting. And uh, oh, and there's something that people will see very soon, uh, a nice collaboration with a, uh, a famous uh, data warehouse uh, 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 company. <laughs> oh, very cool, very cool. Well, I'm excited to see that. 
uh, whenever that's when you're whenever you're free to or like ready to uh, release that info. Uh, Soon, yeah. I will. Great. So, um, yeah, Bob, thanks so much for being on the show. And until next time, stay curious. Thanks for having me.